loved it. Thank you. Have you ever wondered, maybe I'm the only one, why is it even a thing? How did it even become? I went on a search, and let me tell you why. History.com says that the Catholic Church recognizes at least three different saints named Valentine. All of them were martyred. That means there was this emperor decided that single men made better soldiers than those with wives and families. I'm out. You're out. He outlawed marriage for young men. So Valentine performed marriages for young lovers in secret. And when the emperor found out, he literally was off with his head. Oh, snap. Other stories suggest that Valentine may have been killed for attempting to help Christians escape harsh Roman prisons, where they were often beaten and tortured. According to one legend, um, Valentine sent the very first Valentine when he fell in love with a young girl, possibly the jailer's daughter. It's alleged that he wrote her a letter signed from your Valentine. Then... I don't even know what to do with him. <laughs> Just anyways, keep going. Just okay, keep going. I know. It's really hard. His, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so then um, the, the legend continues that there was a pagan celebration named Lupercalia. Um, it was a, this is, this gets real bad, you guys. There was, in it's real life, there was a fertility festival dedicated to the Roman god of agriculture, Faunus. To begin the festival, members um, of the Roman priests would gather at the cave. They would sacrifice a goat for fertility and a dog for purification. (laughs) Would you just? Then they would strip the goat into like strips, dip them into blood. Just wait. It gets worse. Take them to the streets and gently slap both women and crop fields with the goat hide. I would not be okay with this, okay? But just wait. That's weird. Just don't, wait. Don't tell me it gets worse. Far from being fearful, Roman women welcome the touch of the hides because it was believed to make them more fertile in the coming year. Later in the day, the day is not over. These young women would put their name in an urn. The city's bachelors would then choose a name and be compared for the year with the woman. It's Tinder in an urn. Did you even know? This is so So, wild. This survived, this tradition survived for a while. And then what happened is they said it was unchristian and they quit that tradition. So then the tradition continues of um, greeting cards. And in the 1900s, printed cards began to replace written letters due to improvements in the printing technology. This this had me interested too. Ready-made cards were an easy way for people to express their emotions in a time when direct expression of one's feelings were discouraged. No wonder we don't even want to talk about sex because we don't even want to talk about our feelings from back in the day. However, did you know that today, according to Hallmark, an estimated 145 million Valentine cards are sent each year? 
making it the second largest card sending holiday of the year next to Christmas cards. You guys are so smart. I mean. Well done, Hallmark. I mean, of course, on Love Day, why wouldn't we want to talk about sex? Right? You guys weren't ready for this, were you? Nope, nope, you weren't. So, Matthew, what is one reason you think a teenager might want to have sex? Oh, that's a big question. Uh, I'm going to say because it feels good. Yes. God invented sex, and he intended it to be pleasurable. It if it didn't feel good, we wouldn't want to have it, and we wouldn't want to think about it, or we wouldn't want to do it. My, my daughter's like this. <laughs> I love you. This is good for all of you to hear. So, God looked at his creation, including his invention of sex, and said it was very good. Genesis 1.31 says, God saw all that he had made, and it was good. Sometimes we act like sexual pleasure was something that Satan created because it's uncomfortable. Listen to you giggle and move and ah. But no, God created sex. Actually, the first commandment that he gave Adam and Eve was to have sex. But sex has a purpose just beyond bringing pleasure. God made it so that the only way the human race could grow is through sex. Genesis 1.28 said, God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish, the sea, the birds, the heavens, and every living thing that moves on. So sex can be pleasurable, but it can also be super powerful. Without it, none of us would be here. Don't think about that one too much. Don't. <laughs> move it on. Move it on. Don't okay, think about it. Just don't. We'll be reality, okay. Think about the miracle. Think about this, you guys. Two people or any, anything that is alive has sex and produces another being, like another human. I that think that's a, super creative. It's super creative, and it's beautiful. We call it the miracle of life. Its life-giving ability is clearly part of the design for sex. Sex is for procreation, but it's more than just making babies. Sex also has a bonding purpose. Genesis 2.24 talks about how a husband and wife become one flesh. It's this phrase that points to the reality of what sex does for us humans. Two people are bonded together in a physical sense, literally, but also emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And we have started to see the truth behind this scientifically. When people have sex, two chemicals are released in their brains, oxytocin and vasopressin. These two chemicals have an effect on how we respond to each other. These, these chemicals cultivate recognition, they cultivate trust, and they cultivate romantic attachment to others. The Bible also uses this word, no, when it talks about two people having sex. Genesis 4.1 uh, says, and Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived. This knowing is a deep uh, connection between the two. They were bonded together. So, sex is good. God created it to feel good. 
to make babies, to bond people together. But we have to understand the boundaries for it. Last week, I talked about how my son would love to sit in front of the TV all day, but that it would actually be unhealthy for him. He required boundaries for how to engage in TV. The same is true with sex. Yes, it is good, and it has its purposes, but there are boundaries for how we engage with it. The Bible points to sex being appropriate only for those who are married. It only makes sense in that context because of the commitment that the two people have uh, together. Our culture has a very loose view of sex. Culture says if it feels good, you should do it. But there's a problem with that. When people have sex outside of marriage, you have more intimacy than commitment. Think about it like this. If someone walked up to the cashier at a grocery store and uh, gave them a hug and a kiss, that would be like super weird, right? Hugging and kissing is this way of expressing intimacy. And it's, it would be weird to do that to a stranger. They'd probably be escorted out of the building, banned for life, probably arrested, I don't know. It is an inappropriate interaction for the relationship. However, if that same person gave the cashier a $20 bill to pay for their groceries, that interaction matches the relationship. The same is true with sex. It is appropriate in marriage, uh, in the marriage relationship, because the commitment matches the level of intimacy. Sex is this high level of intimacy between two people. Marriage is a high level of commitment. Okay, so sex is great, but I can't do it yet. That doesn't make sense to me. It's like if you were to put a cake in front of a kid and tell him, no, 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 you can't eat it yet. You have to wait till you're older. But it's right there. It's, it's like, what if, what if I just, just a taste, just a little bit, just. When we let our desires make our choices, we have a problem. The same brain that tells me I should do something is the same brain that lies to me and tells me I'm worthless. It's the same brain that tries to get me to hurt other people when I'm angry. It's the same brain that tells me eating chocolate all day is good. Our desires shouldn't be what motivates our choices. When I was a kid, my mom made my favorite cake, chocolate cake with brown butter icing. Oh, this cake was, oh, you, you don't even know. I still dream about this cake. It is so good. One day she made it for my brother's birthday. So it's my brother's birthday cake, and it's sitting there on the counter. And I'm like, oh, yes, this is best day ever. And I go up to get a taste, and my mom's like, ah, 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 no, we need it for the party later. When people come, it's for your brother. You can't have it yet. Well, I didn't like that idea, so I waited until she left the room. When she was gone, I walked up to the counter and had myself a little taste. Now, here's the thing. She started to come back, and I knew that I was going to be in trouble. So I didn't stick around. Out the back door I went. She walks into the room. She knows what I did. She knows where I went. So she starts to follow me. And this is when I get just that like beautiful idea. I say beautiful, beautifully like terrible idea. I run around the house, in the front door, down the steps, and I find myself with the cake alone again. So I have myself another little taste. This goes on like two or three times. I completely ruin the cake. My mom is furious at me. 
I was terrible. I totally ruined that cake. And I hurt my brother. He was hurt and disappointed by it. Everyone that came to the party was really disappointed because they knew the cake was there and how awesome it was, and it's gone. I didn't know the harm my actions would cause, but my mom did, and she tried to stop me. I lost the battle to temptation. So what are we to do? What happens when we find ourselves alone with a girlfriend, a boyfriend, or with our phone? How do we stop ourselves? In those moments, we have to remind ourselves of something that is bigger than sex, something that is better. We have to remind ourselves about sexual integrity. This idea that I'm choosing to live my whole life under God's direction. That I'm choosing to trust him to lead me into a flourishing life. That he knows more about what that looks like than I do. The Bible uses this word, pornea, to talk about anything related to sex. It prohibits every kind of sexual relationship outside of marriage. God puts those boundaries in place for our good. Sex is a powerful way to express intimacy, this, uh, uh, this idea of deep knowledge of each other. And our relationship has to match that power. The commitment and the level of intimacy has to be the same. Now, here's the biggest point I want you to get. You do not need to have sex to experience a full life. Sex is not the biggest part about what it means to be human. Sex is not the only part of what it means to experience happiness or intimacy with others. The next few weeks, we're going to dig into what it looks like to have deep relationships with people that aren't our boyfriends and our girlfriends. Since sex is connected to marriage, we need to understand what God's intent was for marriage. It's not just to spend the rest of your life with someone so you're not lonely. It's meant to point back to the creator. Marriage reflects more than the reality of lo the love that a husband and wife have for each other. Marriage at its deepest reality reflects the love of Christ had between his bride, the church. When a husband and wife come together to commit to this relationship in marriage, they're actually pointing to the promise that God made to his church. Husbands and wives say, I'm going to be with you till the end. I'm going to walk beside you in your sickness, your health, your bad decisions, your richness, your poorness. Jesus' promise us, promises to us are actually bigger than the promises that a husband and wife make to each other. He says, I'm going to give my whole life for you, and I'm going to give you strength and peace through my Holy Spirit. And he actually did give his life for us. So why are we so focused on elevating this relationship of marriage when it's not even eternal? It doesn't even last forever. My relationship with David, my husband, is gonna, will not pass past this earth, but my relationship with God will. The church tends to elevate marriage and kids. Oh, when are you going to get married? Do you have a boyfriend? Oh, when are you going to have kids? I hear it over and over. It's like this pressure our culture puts on us. 
So I want you to know that if you never get married, you are still great. You are still useful. You are still beautiful. You are still the person that God created you to be. Marriage is a very small piece of this grand relationship we have with God. I used to think marriage was this path when I became a believer, um, when I was like 21, to think that, oh, marriage is this path to have sex without sinning or this constant state of being in love. But there's so much more to it than that. Marriage is a picture of sacrifice and laying down your own desires and your own wants moment by moment sometimes to make the relationship healthy. I remember when David and I first got married and we had this little tiny apartment and we were like mad at each other. I'm like, there's no place to go from you. Like, this is hard. I don't even know how to fight with you. Like, it's hard. I don't even know what you're fighting about. Probably the color of the table. I don't know. It's dumb. But it's hard. And Ephesians 5.25 says we are to love our spouses how Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? By giving his life for her. Marriage is a picture of the sacrificial love of God. And if you're not called to give yourself up and your own desires, then you probably aren't called to marriage someday. If you get married someday... I hope you come and tell me about it, or you introduce me to your person, your future person. And I'm going to ask you these questions, so just be prepared if this happens. Does this person love Jesus? Because our first goal is to love God. And if the person that you're going to marry doesn't give you more value or help you in your relationship with God, then it might not be a good relationship for you. The second set of questions have to do with you loving them. Are you ready to lay down your life for them? Are you ready to serve them? So, one thing that has helped me when thinking about marriage is seeing it as a crucible. Um, What's a crucible? Okay, have you been in chemistry class? Nope. Okay. Well, a crucible is like this bowl. I wish we had a picture, but it's this bowl, and you use it to mix chemicals and metals together. It's where things bond together, and only in this bowl can it be safely done. If you put it in a paper bowl, it might, like, melt through, and, like, it'd be a disaster. So you, they give you this specific bowl, which is the same as sex and scripture. Sex bonds two people, so where it takes place matters. As the creator of sex, God created marriage to be a crucible for sex. It's only in marriage where sex can be fully expressed and enjoyed. Sexual integrity looks like honoring the needs of your spouse sexually by providing patience, love, and self-control. And I'm going to make I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. If you get married, Sometimes your spouse is not going to want to have sex, and that's okay. But what it looks like is honoring them in that moment. Maybe she just had a baby. Maybe he's had a stressful week at work. But it looks like loving them, not guilting them, but being curious as to what's happening that they don't want to. It's also realizing that there are other ways to experience intimacy beyond sex. David's love language is touch. So he wants to hold my hand. 
I don't like sweaty hands, but I do it as much as I can because I know that that's what he enjoys. I love to lay in my bed at night and watch shows and talk about our day. And he's like, would you stop talking? But that is, <laughs> it is true. <laughs> Look at him like, but I know that that, he knows that that's something that like brings joy to me. And that's how I connect with him. It is a choice to love my spouse daily if I get married. When we see marriage as a crucible, we're able to see marriage not as a promise, but a possibility. Sexual integrity needs to be shown through us, whether you're married or you're single, so that we can live a life flourishing and full of how God intended us and created us to be. So we do not have a take two tonight. Um, and so what this means is that the high schoolers are in their rooms. And so you're going to go to your room, but eighth grade, there's, the, I gave permission to the high schoolers to be in their space as long as they wanted, because they might not want to come back in here and, like, have a game. So you, I have, either find an empty room, or um, eighth grade guys and girls, you're going to go to 111, 115, or 108, okay? There's, there's rooms down the hall. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to let you go. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these students who push through the uncomfortable and the weirdness of this topic, Lord, and that they are here. And so, Lord, I thank you for them, and I just pray that tonight you would help us to um, ask questions and figure out who you created us to be so that we can live full lives with you and with us and that we can be a community in this room who's open to conversation and to grow with each other, but also to grow with you. So Lord, be with our time tonight. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.